Welcome everyone to Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. I'm Megan Cummings-Kruger, and today we have the opportunity to continue a very rich conversation that first took place during our January business education webinar. The focus of that session was on the quest for balance, reclaiming wellness in all aspects of life, a topic which, of course, is so relevant for all of us as we continue to navigate the challenges which have accumulated over the years. In fact, Gallup's most recently published book, Blind Spot, focused entirely on the reality that global happiness is at an all-time low and that both organizations and individuals need to recognize the most important metric we need to pay attention to today is the health of our sense of well-being. So, as you can imagine, during January's discussion on Quest for Balance, the audience asked many excellent questions, some of which went unanswered due to time limitations. But happily, one of our panelists was inspired to take note of the unanswered questions and then took the time to reflect on what she could offer in response. So all to say that I am delighted to introduce you all to Amy Brandley, who has returned to be our guest today and share her insights and perspective and very tangible practices that she has learned along the way. Now, before we hear from Amy, let me share with you a little bit about her background. Amy has over two decades of diverse experience at startups in healthcare, digital health, and data analytics, including leadership roles in account management and product marketing at Red Brick Health, now Virgin Pulse, as well as positions at Dario Health, United Health Group, FICO, and Accenture. She now leads operations at Visana Health, a comprehensive virtual women's health clinic. Amy enjoys and is skilled at building teams, guiding colleagues in their career growth, creating a supportive and inclusive company culture, and not taking herself too seriously. Amy is the graduate of the University of Minnesota Duluth, and when she's not working, she is navigating life with her two teen sons, seeing live music, practicing yoga, or planning her next international trip. And I will add, she's also a valued partner at Mentium. She just finished mentoring her first Mentium mentee. Welcome, Amy. Good morning, and thank you. Listen, I'd like to start out by asking you to share from your own personal perspective of what helps you most in terms of your personal well-being that you're practicing on a daily basis. Now, I know you have mapped this out into the terms of the four terms of well-being and what helps in each case to either help you maintain or increase your sense of well-being. So would you share that with us now? Absolutely. I would be happy to do so. It was really fun for me to take some time to reflect about the four different pillars of well-being, physical, mental, social, and emotional. And I like to come down to kind of brass tacks, if you will, is talking through what are the things that truly help me and maybe even give folks tips that they could apply to their daily lives. So I started out with looking at from the physical aspect and even reminded myself of this while you were doing the intro, breathe. Sometimes it is very easy for us to hold your breath, shoulders rise. You kind of start to feel maybe your pulse increases, your heartbeat, your blood pressure, and simply to be aware of your physical state and breathe. Exhale, 
It sounds very simplistic. And guess what? It is. Guess what else? It works. So simply being aware of your breathing, don't even need to you know, analyze or judge yourself, but simply awareness to breathing. And I realized that it is very, my own tendency, and I think this is fairly common, is that you tend to hold your breath. You get nervous, you get a question that you don't know the answer to, you're being asked something that you've never done before by a boss or a colleague. And sometimes it, this also ties into a past webinar regarding resilience that Mentium has done. Kind of the fight or, fight or flight. We tend to, we might tense up and be on, on guard, if you will, and to simply allow yourself, unclench your hands, take a breath and exhale can help open up your brain, calm the coursing blood flow, and really put yourself in a place where it's just much easier to be open to thinking, receiving, and minimizing your stress. So that was a lot for a simple word, breathe. That is really the, <laughs> the key piece that I try to do and truly remind myself every day. Silly thing, post-it note. Put a post-it note with the word breathe on it. Put it on your monitor. You know, that has been helpful for me. Another thing that I do is that because I am a remote employee, I work for a 100% virtual company, we do not have a physical office presence. So it's not as easy to do a walking meeting, if you will, with your colleagues. Even as such, I still sometimes will take one-on-one -on -one calls, especially with colleagues where I'm not you know, needing to present or something a little bit more formal. In this Minnesota winter that we've had in particular, I will pace around my house on my phone. I'll take the call on my phone versus sitting in front of Zoom and walk just to get some blood flow instead of getting stuck sitting in your seat all day. That sometimes also helps facilitate just making you feel a little bit more balanced. Another other, so then in that same vein of the physical aspect, goodness, we are ready for spring here. And once that happens, as soon as we can get out there for a walk outside, I really find in incredible value for getting some time out, 15 minute walk, 20 minute walk, as long as an hour, it just, it clears my head. It helps reduce stress. It makes you feel good. And it's a good physical activity. So that is something that I try to do as much as I can when the weather allows and then the last piece that I like to share just from the physical aspect is I kind of joked about this during the webinar as well, is that a potentially controversial statement, but I stand behind it very firmly, nap, napping during the day, obviously not as easy to do if you have a traditional office setting, but for those of us that may have the luxury or the flexibility to have a sometimes or all the time virtual setting. There are times when I will block out my calendar and I will lay down for an hour. And I tell you, that is better than most other types of reprieves that I get. And it, to have it during the workday, I actually become much more almost mentally unstuck, if you will, to have that physical time away from staring at a screen. So that was my physical. So I have three other sections. So as you were mentioning, Megan, I got a lot to share. So we'll see how much we can go through in the time we have. 
Before you go to the next one, I yeah. just want to comment. This is such great advice. Honestly, these are things that I wish I'd heard years ago. It took me a long time to understand the power of breathing. And I think because it is so simple and it is absolutely the best. And I do want to add that Einstein took naps every day. So I think that's a promising sign. <laughs> I certainly do not think you should be comparing me to him, but yes, I will, I will take that little aspect of it. <laughs> All right. So I think for the next one for mental distractions or mental well-being, if you will, excuse me, the main piece that I, my headline basically, if you will, distractions, distractions, distractions. We live in such a world where we are or could be so easily distracted all the time. How often do we sit down and do only one thing? Think about that. If I'm reading my book, do I still have my phone next to me and it's pinging me with notifications? Even that, you're multitasking. So what I try to do and apply this both in work and in my personal life, reducing distractions wherever I can. We think as humans that we are good at multitasking and there are actually countless research studies that counter that fact. And so people think, oh, I could do a whole bunch of stuff at the same time. And it actually ends up diminishing your own ability to be successful in the multiple things that you're doing. If you're able to isolate and focus, reduce other distractions, you usually are able to be more productive, get things done more quickly, and may even be more efficient at each different task if you're reducing your distractions. So what does that mean, Amy? So a couple of tactical pieces that I do in my work life, I disable phone notifications from things that are on my phone for things that come from work. For example, emails. If I'm sitting in front of my computer, I'm going to get an email. We also use Slack. And so Slack pops up on my computer and you know, your meeting invites that will you also get your reminders. So those just three tactical pieces. I'm already getting those reminders on my computer when I'm sitting in front of my laptop. I don't also need them pinging me on my phone at the same time. So that is just a tip that I have found that has been helpful for me so that I'm not being pulled away from my phone to my computer and back and forth. The other piece that I do, I'm pretty diligent about trying to, I think it's called phone hygiene, of trying to be really restrictive about how I use my phone because all of us are plugged into it pretty much from morning to night, every waking hour. And I like to turn off my notifications overall on my phone. The other piece that I do is, and most people do this, you know, Google if you don't know how to, but on your specific phone, you can also set do not disturb with exceptions. Like for example, I'm a mom, I got kids. I wanna make sure that if my teen son who's away at college can get a hold of me, that he is able to do so. So you can turn on do not disturb notifications with an exception for my key contacts. Obviously my kids are up, my key contacts. So that's a really just what I found is a helpful piece. I'm not getting spam calls. I'm not getting pings from text messages from friends who I appreciate, but in times when I don't want to have distractions, that also has been a helpful tip that I do. The other pieces that I do specifically for those types of distractions, I also, in addition to blocking my calendar, like I mentioned when I take naps, it is to block my calendar for deep work or slash no meetings. So I try to preserve my schedule or reserve my schedule, if you will, so that when you need to do some serious project-based work, not just little bits in here, bits of pieces here and there, 
I really like to block at least two hours at a time and sometimes an entire day. Let the team know this is what I'm doing. If an emergency arises, find a way for, communicate a way that they can contact you, but set those expectations and communicate that effectively with your team so that they know, oh, I got to leave Amy alone today because she has, for example, an upcoming deadline. She's got to do some deep thinking for her upcoming project. So those can work as long as you set those expectations with your teammates so that they understand why you might be blocking your calendar. And then the last piece is I leave my phone away from my bedroom. So back to the do not disturb. I have it up in my kitchen, but I have it so that I could hear it if someone needs to call me who is in my key contacts overnight so that some people can balance that. Of We don't have a landline phone anymore, but in an emergency situation, you can still be reached. I so appreciate personally some of these tips. For example, I had no idea. I have grown daughters as well, and I keep the phone by the bed. And I read all the research that says how, how just having the phone beside you is a distraction. There's all kinds of research on this. And I love your point of paying attention to where it is and know that you can actually have a few people like children be able to get through is a wonderful tip. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it just helps reduce my stress and balance the worries of a parent that are always there. So then I moved on to the next two sections of the social and the emotional aspects of how to reclaim that balance. And what the social one in particular is especially challenging for me. I am an extrovert. I get energy from people around me. In my virtual work setting, where I don't have other humans in my physical space, it's very important for me to find those connections and to maintain them in real life, even more so since the pandemic. So in doing so, I also have discovered that I need to balance when I say yes and when I say no. And that is hard, and every person has a different place on that social connections, a spectrum, if you will. So for example, I pushed myself out of my comfort zone and I said yes to this. I said yes to participating in the webinar in January. I said yes to following up and sharing my additional thoughts now in this podcast. That is pushing me outside of my comfort zone, but it also is incredibly rewarding after I've done it. And honestly, while we're doing it, this is also fun too for me. And so choosing the things that you also want to say yes to, but here's the big but, being selective so that you don't become a bobblehead, if you will, and say yes to every single solitary thing that comes down, comes along for your opportunities. And my example here is back to the social aspects, love to go see live music, love to interact with friends. But I've found that I now need to balance the times and not say yes to every single solitary concert that comes down because I would love to, but boy, I get really tired if I would be up too late every single night. And then what seems like something that should be fun kind of turns into what feels like an obligation and it sucks the joy out of what a potentially, what should be an enjoyable interaction. So I just give that as, Think to yourself, push yourself to say yes, but know when to say no. And that's kind of squishy, but I always try to balance that. 
and which is kind of the whole point of all of this of tr trying to reclaim that balance. The other piece is then kind of bleeding into, for me, it's social and emotional. They're so inextricably linked in my own personality because my own emotional state helps my social interactions. And then that feeds back into my emotional state. So the emotional well-being then, for me, the connection was all the way back to physical. My emotions feel better when I do things like get a hug from my kids. Obviously, that is a physical interaction that, oh my goodness, that releases all the, you know, whatever the dopamine, the happy chemicals in my brain. And it really helps me so that I don't, in times when I feel just wiped out and wound down. And then the other kind of just tangible, silly thing that I have enjoyed doing when I am using my phone, because yes, I do use my phone a lot, just like most of us, Instagram reels. So R-E-L-F, you know, the little five, 10 second videos. I have told the Instagram reels that I love watching baby animals. I love watching human babies. And sometimes I watch human babies and human animals do cute little things together. And it is just <laughs> a fun little kit of happiness that is complete distraction from my day. <sighs> And, you know, I have to laugh. I also have said that, you know, animal videos got me through a lot of COVID, but I was recently reading that, of course, they've done research on this already. And apparently, if you watch more than two minutes of some kind of an animal video or baby video, it reduces your blood pressure and it actually has even a physical, maybe it's that dopamine. I don't know, but yeah. I'm glad research backs us. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Sometimes things that feel good are actually good for you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, first off, thank you for all of those really tangible suggestions. And I so appreciate how you also have organized it. It's just such a valuable perspective. So now what I'd like to do is shift over and think about not just from the personal perspective, but also in terms of your role as a leader of others. So I'd love to hear your perspective on what you think your teams are most challenged by when it comes to their ability to feel connected with each other and be able to maintain high performance. Yeah, absolutely. This is, I will tell you, absolutely an ongoing challenge or the positive version of that word, opportunity, that <laughs> we as a, an organization are working on and focusing on to recognize the fact that because, like I had mentioned previously, because we are a 100% virtual organization, there are several employees we have never actually met in real life. And we're spread across the entire United States. So how do you maintain or establish in the first place some of those connections, which it what what excuse me, which is what we have found is really helpful for us as a team to collectively be high-performing teams. So how do you do that? Okay, you've got a person that's brand new on the team, they are located in California. We're, some of us are here in Minneapolis in various locations across Minnesota. What do you do? So what we have tried, and we will continue to then evolve to see what makes sense. We've done things like establishing weekly presentations in which each employee gets a chance to share whatever they would like to share about themselves with their fellow colleagues. The purpose being, when you get to know someone outside of just a fellow employee, and get to know them as a human, a person, a mom, a friend, a sister, a daughter, 
things like that. It really helps realize, oh, okay, I have, maybe I have something in common. Maybe they went to school the same place I did. Maybe they love to travel like I do. So it, op it offers opportunity to make some non-work connections with someone, even though you may not be in the same physical location. Because uh, understanding and appreciating each other, I have found time and time again throughout my career, it builds trust, it builds understanding, and it lets people know that you are more than just the work that you do. And I don't think I can count more than maybe twice in my entire life of all the people that I've had the benefit and the pleasure of working with, that people aren't always trying to do the best. They are trying to do the right thing. They are trying to show up every day and do what they can. And so approaching every interaction that you have as if they are in the same situation as you are, which is, I'm a high performer. I want to do well. Approach every interaction with that same stance, and it usually serves you well. The kind of the joke of API, you know, application programming interfaces of sending data back and forth. API also stands for assume positive intent. Yes. So I, I try to do that with our team as well. And then the other piece that as a organization that we keep working on trying to find the right balance and hold each other accountable to this, finding the Goldilocks of what is the right communication approach. Too many meetings, too few meetings. Too many emails, too few emails. Too many documents, too few documents. All of those things, especially for us as an early stage startup in which we're moving fast, we're making a lot of decisions and progress and having a lot of actual achievements every day, how do you keep the team abreast of where we are and where we're going? It is a constant evolution. And we want to make sure, and we continue to work on this as a company, call each other out on things. Hey, do we need this meeting? Oh, can we jump on a call so that someone doesn't feel isolated and making sure that we're meeting not just for the sake of meeting, but there is a purpose and an objective for the times that we are collectively working together in a synchronous environment, like in a Zoom meeting versus, okay, 15 minute touch base, and then everyone jump off the call and then do your work and maybe regroup on a daily basis. Just in this past week, we were having a daily meeting for 30 minutes every day as we were trying to stand up a new process, not just trying, we did. So now as of today, we're having our conclusion of these daily meetings. And from there, we're shifting to weekly. Be flexible and be open to find ways that you can work together as a team so that they feel connected, but not overly burdensome for showing up just to show up without making forward progress. For example, especially meetings. I know that in meetings in particular, people's calendars usually just get chock-a-block full, call after call. And then the big conundrum at the end of your supposed workday is, well, how do I get my work done? If I'm in a meeting or meetings all day, every day, that's not a sustainable approach because then you're working evenings, weekends. I don't think that is a sustainable approach. I don't think that's something that an organization should stand behind for a long-term balance and well-being for their employees. So then how do you find that balance to carve out time to actually do the work that you need to do? Absolutely. And so then what about on the flip side? What have you found is the result 
or perhaps the sign when you're working and living out of balance? How have you seen that personally or as a team leader? I see it. Here's me being a vulnerable and open and honest responses here. I get impatient. I get frustrated of others. And that's not fair. I also become overly self-critical. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that is actually very common for people to think that, oh, well, I'm not delivering. Because it usually, if you're working so hard and you're just pushing, you know, the proverbial boulder up a hill or pushing a, what is it? You push a noodle, you know, like you, you can't push a noodle. You can't push a <laughs> noodle. Is that the heart sometimes with things like that, the harder you try to accomplish something, it can actually create a mental block. Almost embarrassingly so. My example there is that I have found that if I am just trying to unlock something that I've been tasked to do, especially if it's something that I'm attempting to do on my own and just having time on task to figure something out by myself. I feel like my brain short circuits after a certain amount of time, it's different depending on what the task is, if I've never done it before, if I'm trying to do some deep thinking, create a new calculation, new approach, new something brand new that my brain has not done before. I also have discovered that sometimes even really, really simple questions, if I'm overworked, whether or not it's hard questions, easy questions, my brain just shuts down. I can't even process a response. So guess what I do? I try to apply the things that I've talked about earlier. I try to take a step away, go for a walk, take a nap, call a colleague, look at an Instagram reel, something to really just kind of jar my brain and to reset it, to give myself a bit of a mental reprieve. And guess what? I'd say about maybe seven times out of 10, I come back and look at that challenge, issue, opportunity, whatever it is that I was stuck on. And sometimes the answer is comes to me immediately, almost embarrassingly so. If I find out that I've been pushing so hard that I just can't see the answer that's on the tip of my tongue right in front of me. So I try to remember that is what happens and to recognize it and not be self-critical and realize that it's usually because you are just overworked. Yeah. Yeah. I think I may have shared this with you already before, but I always call it the crossword puzzle phenomenon where anyone listening who does crossword puzzles knows this. I can be staring and, you know, racking my brain for the answer. If I put it down, walk away and then pick up, pick it up 10 minutes later and it immediately the answer comes. And sure. it's, it is absolutely what you're saying. We know all the research, lack of creativity, but it absolutely it's amazing, sometimes just almost miraculous how letting yourself take a brief break can really unlock the mind again. And giving yourself permission to do so without guilt. It's yeah. actually a helpful thing that will likely complete your task more quickly if you take the break. I really like how you frame that. That's exactly right. All right. So then thinking about this more broadly, you know, when it comes to our culture, what have you observed that seems to indicate that there may be some room to shift toward more balance? Yeah, I have been very 
hopeful in what I have seen just in the last handful of years. I think the pandemic has also helped accelerate it, as well as younger workers entering the workforce. And I have had a very noticeable positive influence of younger workers. So I am solidly Gen X. And to have younger workers point out the fact that we don't need to sacrifice our own health, be that any of the aspects of wellness that we've been talking about, we don't need to, nor should we sacrifice our health for the sake of our job. Even if this is not my situation, but even if someone is a entrepreneur, even if someone is a founder of a company, there is a balance that we should strive for. And having that reminder of individuals who are younger that simply say, I'm not going to do that, is refreshing and something that I would never have contemplated verbalizing when I was in my 20s. So I applaud younger workers to do that. And then the Gen Xers of like myself of then following that. And then always trying to come back to a tactical aspect or a reminder. I think it is absolutely fantastic that in the company that I work for, we have a younger CEO who has the following in the email footer. Every email, it says as follows, my working hours may not be your working hours. Please do not feel obligated to reply outside of your nor normal work schedule. I love the power of that, the permission that it allows the fellow colleagues to say, oh, okay, boss didn't say jump, so I have to say how high. And so it provides, a, I think, a reduction in someone's potential holding your breath, shoulders coming up, heart rate racing. If you get an email from the boss to have that as the email footer. I, that is phenomenal. I love that. What an amazing communication and release of guilt for others. That's yeah. what a great idea. So since you view well-being, you've shared this with me as a skill that can be learned and practiced. What would you recommend to your listeners as the daily best practices that you found helpful? Now, of course, a lot of this you've been saying, but if you think about it in terms of what would you like your listeners to walk away with? Absolutely. Here is a back to a shorter list of tangible things. So those folks that want to be taking notes, I'm just adjusting, but you know, I was going to say, grab your pen and paper. My, my main two things, and then I have a couple more of this. I did not come up with this. I had someone actually want a really close friend of mine when I was very imbalanced, unbalanced, if you will, point this out to me. They are it's okay to ask for help. If you have not done something before, if you are overwhelmed, it does not mean you are weak. It does not mean you're unintelligent. It actually is the inverse. It shows that you're strong enough to recognize that no one can do it all on their own. I have learned over the years, this has taken the majority of my career to get to this place, that one of my self-identified leadership traits that I'm very proud of, I'm vulnerable. That did not come without a lot of imposter syndrome, which we've talked about in previous webinars, and coming to the place of realizing no matter how much you know, 
you're never going to know any, everything, never. And making sure that you make it okay to ask for help if you need it. The other thing that one of my close friends has helped guide me on, first one being ask for help. The second one, say no. This is specifically in a work setting, but we don't need to simply say, yes, or may I have another, you know, <laughs> if something else comes down your plate, that is, you can just tell that you are, that you, your workload is already, or maybe even beyond a proverbial tipping point, if you will. It's okay to say no, that sets healthy boundaries that you cannot fit yet another item on your plate. The other way that I like to reposition that if you're, if you think like, oh my gosh, I can't say no to my boss, or I can't say no to X and Y, then to say, help me reprioritize my other main items that I'm also expected to deliver on. Where does this fit so that I can help reprioritize my workload to do this if no is not an option? That is a great reframe. And then it becomes a collective discussion rather than being feeling like an order taker. Let's see, other couple pieces are for especially the Mentium audience. Folks are high performers. And what comes with high performers is also you're likely much more critical on yourself than anyone ever will be about you. So remember that and to be gentle, be kind with yourself, is that we are usually much more self-critical than anyone else around you. So the other part of that, that usually helps validate it, ask for feedback all the time, not all the time, but as frequently as you, as natural from both colleagues, as well as management. So people you report to, people that report to you, people that are your fellow coworkers, ask for feedback. And in usually it can be in very informal settings, like, hey, how did that go with that presentation that I just delivered? Anything for me? And to say that in an ongoing basis, it opens up the opportunity for people to say, oh, okay, I do have a safe space that I can say, yep, you're doing well. Here's a place where you can improve. Ask for that feedback. It's a great way to grow. And then the last piece that I have, because we are self-critical usually, hard, hard high performers are usually very hard on, on themselves. When you have asked for feedback, write it down, write down all of the amazing things that people say about you, reread them whenever you need to. Like I said, that breathe post-it note on my monitor. I also have a running list of quotes that former and current colleagues and clients have said about me. And that helps as a reminder for everybody that you are pretty darn amazing. I do that as well. It is such, it's a surprisingly helpful tip. All these have been great. We could probably listen to several more hours with you, but I only have one final question and I will let you go. You shared that the Well Workout has identified the four pillars needed to achieve well-being at work and in life, and that they include connect, play, rest, 
and reflect. So of those four, what I'd like to hear is what would you recommend focusing on first, both personally and professionally? And have you found that to be the same or different for your work versus your overall life? Good question. So for me, professionally, because of where we as an organization are right now, and I have, is that reflect. I have been at an early stage startup for 13 months now. We had three employees when I started, and now we have about 20. There has been a crazy amount of growth in this past year plus. So with that, it has been very important for me to have take some time, look back of what we and me have accomplished on behalf of the organization in this past year. And that also helps reframe or frame in the first place where we go from here as a leader of the organization, as we continue to grow, as we continue to scale our organization, bring in additional individuals, what are the right decisions that we need to make to both sustain and successfully grow our business? It's hard to do that unless you take the time to really both physically and mentally step back and reflect on the progress that has been done. So that's definitely the word of that I have been coming to and reflecting on a lot. And personally, I have, this probably isn't a surprise from what I had previously said on my, in my personal life, connect. This past year has been so busy in my work life that it has been a, I've been remiss in reaching out to friends, former colleagues, as much as I usually have and usually really enjoy doing. So I have made an effort even in the last six, eight weeks or so. I even have a couple unread texts that I need to respond to from former colleagues and friends of just grabbing a drink, going out for coffee, catching up for lunch. And I am really finding that those are helping to reignite my connections and make me feel more balanced. Wonderful advice. Amy, thank you so much. This has been such an enlightening conversation. I'm going to re-listen to this with my pen and paper in hand. Just so many tangible suggestions and specific ideas that really speak to the very real struggle that we can all find ourselves in at times, you know, to pay attention and tend to our own well-being. And I think about, you know, in times when we are stressed, we know we're less creative and we're less able to see the forest for the trees. So it is exactly these tangible types of suggestions that you've offered that can be most helpful to kind of help us get, find our way out of the woods, if you will. So thank you so much. You're welcome. This has been really fun. I also want to thank all our listeners for joining this Mentium Matters podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you are interested in additional resources, you can find our show notes on the Mentium website. We look forward to having you join us for our next interesting conversation.